When I was growing up, I remember being terrified of the demonic. I would hear Bible stories in church that would frighten me. Stories of, of people's personal encounters that would send chills down my spine. And that fear continued into my teens. And whenever someone would tell a scary story about someone's encounter with darkness and the demonic, whenever I would hear about a scary demonic movie, those stories, they, they stuck with me and they disturbed me. Some of you are nodding your heads in agreement. You're with me on this, right? And while I believe that that which is satanic and demonic is, is of course, real and something to be taken seriously, and I believe that any sort of demonic activity should be avoided at all costs, one of the reasons for my great debilitating fear of the demonic for so long in my early years is because in the early part of my life, I did not know Jesus. I didn't know of his great person and work. Sure, I'd heard stories in the church about him, but the enemy, like he is pictured doing in the parable of the sower, snatched that truth away from my heart again and again. The truths about Jesus' supreme position in the universe and his great power over the demonic were lost on me in my early years. By God's grace, I came to know Christ in my early 20s and realized that he is the one to be feared. Because he is the one with ultimate power, supreme power. He is the one with true authority. He is the one on which my life depends. He is the one who upholds my life, both physically and spiritually. He is the sovereign ruler of all. He is the one who is able to bring light and life and salvation to this dark and dead world and to this dark, dead heart. And he is the one returning soon to judge and condemn. He is the one that both earthly and spiritual powers are subject to. He is the one that all will bow before. He is the one who is mighty to save. He is the one who will be victorious over all. He is the one with the power to destroy not just the body, but soul and hell. And he is the one who has the power to deliver both body and soul from the clutches of the enemy. That biblical picture is what I needed in the early years of my life and what we all need today, which is why Luke gives it to us in Luke chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Luke chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 39 this morning. Last week, we were with the disciples on a boat on a lake in Galilee. And we discussed Jesus' power over the storm and all the wonderful lessons to be learned of Jesus' great person and power and work as he saves them on the lake from the windstorm. Today, we see Luke continue with this emphasis revealing more of the power and the might of Jesus in the telling of why he and his disciples went to the other side of the lake and the lessons to be learned there. 
Last week we discussed Jesus' power over the earthly realm, His power over creation, by calming the storm and how He is to be looked to and followed and trusted in the storms of this life. Today we will see His power over the spiritual realm, over the demonic, and how He has the power to save men enslaved in sin and the power to cast out and condemn demons by the thousands with a word. Luke 8, 26 through 39. Four parts to this story. First, I want you to see Jesus and his disciples will encounter a man afflicted by demons. Second, Jesus will demonstrate his power over the demonic. Third, we will see a man liberated from demons by Jesus. And fourth, we will focus on the man's commitment to Jesus and the people's rejection of Jesus. Number one, notice first, the man afflicted by demons. Look with me at Luke chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, and then we'll skip down to verse 30. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Verse 30. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. What an eerie beginning, right? We learn here, after calming the storm, Jesus and his disciples make it to the other side of the lake and they enter into Gentile country. And the reason we know it's Gentile country is because of a detail we learn later in the story. We learn in this story that there is a huge herd of pigs in the land. That would not have been the case in Jewish territory, in the Jewish part of the country. They were forbidden to eat pork and they were not even allowed to raise pigs to sell to their Gentile neighbors. Pigs were unclean. They could defile a person, which is why they weren't found in Jewish areas. So Jesus is in Gentile country. This is an important detail for us believers because that's who we are. We get a hint here of the work that Jesus came to accomplish. Abraham was promised in Genesis 12 that through him would come a nation to bless the nations. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And here we see hints of the work that he came to accomplish. He is not coming only to seek and to save the Jews, but the Gentiles also. He is the blessing to the nations. We're reminded of that right here. Notice shortly after Jesus steps on dry land, there he and his disciples are met by a man from the city who had demons. We don't know this man's reason for approaching them. Maybe the demons were trying to keep people away from this man and did not know before approaching this group who was with this group. They're going to find out pretty quickly. 
They, they obviously wanted this man isolated. We learned from other accounts, people kept their distance from him out of a fear of him. He had incredible strength. He tried, they tried to uh, bind him with, with chains, and he broke from those chains. And out of a fear of him, people did not pass his way. We're told in, in verse 29 of Luke 8, For many a time it had seized him, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And some ask, why? Why? Why was this man isolated? Why was he, why was he possessed by demons? Why was he enslaved by them? And, and what's the purpose of them isolating him? The reason is very, very simple. Satan and his demons, they have a very, very simple purpose. Thwart God's design for this man's life and destroy him. It's what they want to do. This is the reason Satan and his demons tempt us. The reason they, they want us enslaved to sin. They want to thwart God and to kill us. It's as simple as that. J.I. Packer said it in this way. Look at this quote up on the screen. Satan has no constructive purposes on his own. His tactics are simply to thwart God and destroy men. True. Maybe that's the reason this man approaches these disciples. The demons possessing him are hoping to scare them off, keep him isolated, and by so doing, they, they, they get more than what they planned for. While this man approaches Jesus and his disciples, we learn in this story that God in his great providence has orchestrated this encounter. This man is the reason Jesus and his disciples have traveled to the other side of the lake into Gentile country. The reason why is because this man is in great need. We're told he has many demons. He is enslaved. He is in such a bad way. The image of God has been so severely marred in him that he has forgotten his name and his identity. Listen to verse 30 again. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He said, legion, for many demons had entered him. His identity is completely lost. When asked his name, he just says, I'm a man possessed by many demons. A legion was the largest unit in a Roman army between 3,000 and 6,000 soldiers. This man is filled with many demons. Up to this point, we learn that, that Jesus has cast out demons from individuals as many as seven from Mary Magdalene, Luke chapter 8, verse 2. But this is different. This situation is unique. This man has many demons. And again, Luke is telling this story to highlight Jesus' power over the spiritual realm. We will see in a moment, nothing is too difficult for God, which is good news for this man whose situation seems impossible. He is so enslaved, he has forgotten his name. He is naked, completely separated from humanity in dress and in location, living in the place of the dying rather than in the land of the living. He is right where the enemy wants him. And while 
He is under extraordinary bondage. Believe me when I say he would not have been there had he not deserved to be there. Anyone want to feel sorry for him thinking he's powerless and not to blame in the situation? No, no, no. This man's a sinner. Notice he's a man from the city in more ways than one. A man from the city like the woman in Luke 7 was a woman of the city. He's a sinner in the thralls of sin and in need of rescue. He is enslaved, dead in sin, dominated by the demonic. Dark and difficult beginning to this story, right? But the glorious truth that we find here is that this man's only hope is standing right in front of him in the person of Jesus Christ. Same is true for us. While this man was in a bad way, so are we all. Scripture is clear. We are, we are all enslaved spiritually. We are dead in our trespasses and, and sin. We are in a helpless and hopeless state. Praise be to God. Our only hope is in our midst. Jesus has entered into this world. He has become one of us. To live, die, and rise again in order to free us from the chains of sin and restore us to a right relationship with the living God. Have you been set free? Are you looking to Christ? Are you trusting in Him alone for your rescue and salvation? Pray you would. That's the first part of this story. First we see... Jesus and his disciples encounter a man afflicted by demons. Notice point number two, the power of Jesus over demons. He said in the previous point that when this demon-possessed man encounters these disciples, he gets more than, than what he had probably planned for with Jesus. He seems to know right away who this man is. Look at verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Notice this demon-possessed man who had tormented others who were told was fierce and, and powerful able to break strong chains, falls before Jesus and begs for his life. These demons who had enslaved this man are cowering in fear before the king of kings. They know who Jesus is. Notice how they address him, son of the most high God. They respond to him in fear and reverence. If demons do that, how much more so should we? Are you being outdone by demons in your view of Jesus? How do you approach Jesus? Does it surpass what the demons do here? If not, what should that tell you? about where you are in, 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 in view of who he is. We learn here that these demons had reason to fear. Their fate was in Jesus' hands. Look at verse 29. 
For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Skip down to verse 31. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. These demons were right to be fearful of Jesus. They knew what he could do to them. They knew he could and someday would cast them into the abyss. That is the final destination for Satan and his demons. They knew that he and he alone had the power to cast them out and cast them there. Knew that he someday would but begged him on that day that he would not. They said, let us please enter into this large herd of pigs feeding on a hillside. And we're told that Jesus gave them the permission to do just that. That is power. They have to ask for permission. When Jesus says jump, they say what? How high? They do. Why did he not cast them into the abyss at this time? Why did he not send them to that great and horrible place of judgment reserved for Satan and his demons? We get our answer in Matthew chapter 8 verse 29. In Matthew's account, we're told this, that they asked Jesus, Have you come here to torment us before the time? Have you come? To throw us into the abyss before the appointed time. They knew what their fate was going to be. They were just hoping it wasn't yet. And Jesus lets them know that time had not yet come. It was coming, but it was not there yet. These demons believed in this coming day of judgment. This great and terrible day that it would be for them. The question is, how about you? You believe that this day is coming? You believe that Christ is returning soon? Are you ready for that day? This is a question that we ask again and again through our study of Zephaniah. The Lord is coming someday soon. One of the reasons for His coming is to, to destroy evil. The demons knew this and believed and dreaded that day. What about you? What will Christ's return mean for you? Is it a day that you will dread or a day you long for and look forward to? Will it be a day of wrath and judgment or a day of joy and salvation? A day of condemnation or a day of restoration? You must decide today how that day will be for you. God says in His Word that... To prepare for that day, you must repent of your sin. You must forsake your sin, turn from your sin, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You must do it today, while today is today, and while you have that time to be saved from His wrath to come on that day. I love this miracle because it perfectly illustrates the work that, that Christ came to do. It, it, it gives us a, a beautiful picture of God's gospel. This is why Christ came. He came to free the slave, restore the broken, rescue the wretched, save the sinner. Which leads us to our, our third point. Notice the man liberated from demons by Jesus. 
Look at verses 33 through 35. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, this portion of the story upset some. Animal rights activists say, why would Jesus do something so terrible as to send demons into a herd of pigs and send them to their death? Well-known atheist said this is one of the reasons he rejected Jesus as being God for this reason. Because of what he did to these poor pigs. We learn in that's true. It's true. Mark 5.13. There are about 2,000 pigs in this large herd. Animal lovers say, why would Jesus do this? Those who put a high price tag on the material things question Jesus on this. That large herd of pigs was someone's livelihood. Why would Jesus hurt someone financially in this way? There have been a lot of answers given as to why. What we know is this. The spiritual state of a man is much more important than the physical life of any animal and the financial status of any person. If you read this story and you're moved to tears over this herd of pigs, I know in East Texas we're not, right? Or the financial state of, of some farmer and are not moved to tears over the fact that, that this man who was once possessed by many demons at the beginning of this story is found at the end, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind you have missed the point and you do not value human life like Christ does. The most important question for anyone to answer in life is this. Am I a disciple of Christ or am I his enemy? That's it. At the beginning of this story, this man was an enemy. At the end, he's a disciple. Beautiful. It's beautiful. The people of the city find this man sitting at the feet of Jesus. That is, a, is the posture of a disciple. When this enslaved, demon-possessed sinner encounters the Savior, he is transformed into a spirit-possessed saint. Awesome. That's the gospel on display right there, isn't it? That is the story of every believer in this place this morning. If it's not your story, I pray that it become your story. Last point. We have seen the man afflicted by demons, the power of Jesus over demons, and the man liberated by Jesus from demons. Notice finally, the people's reaction to Jesus and the man's commitment to Jesus. Notice first the people's re reaction 
concerning Jesus. Look at, look at verses 36 through 37. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him, Jesus, to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear, so he got into the boat and returned. So we're told that, that the herdsmen of the pigs who saw this take place ran to report what had happened to the people of the town. One reason probably being so they wouldn't be blamed for this disaster. Another is, of course, out of fear of a man named Jesus. And the crowd of the city came and they, they were curious. I know I would be as well. They, they came out from the city. They surround Jesus. And what they found startled them. They find this man who at one time was a wild, naked, powerful, hostile, beastly individual sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And what you would want to hear next, the next response you would expect is that they would then bow the knee to Jesus, praising him for this incredible work that he had done in the heart and life of this man who moments before was in the thralls of sin. You, you would hope that that would happen. It would be wonderful if it did, but it did not. While they were fearful of him, they didn't want anything to do with him. They wanted to be far from Jesus, who responded in a similar way in this story. The demons. They respond like the demons. They rejected the light. Why? Jesus tells us pretty clearly in John 3, 19 and 20. Look at it up on the screen. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. There's an answer right there for why people reject the light of God's gospel. The light of the world, Jesus had entered into their world and they rejected him. They longed to be away from his presence because they loved the darkness rather than the light. And notice how Jesus responds, one of the saddest lines in this story. So he got into the boat and returned. He left. He left. They, like the demons, are, are fearful and long to be removed from his presence. The demons say, send us into a herd of pigs, and he does. The people of the city say, depart from us, Jesus, and he does. No biblical record that Jesus ever returns. You know, sometimes it, the, one of the worst things that can happen for us is for Jesus to answer a poorly considered request. That's the story here. They request that he leave, and he does. But there's a glimmer of hope in this story, and it comes from the most unlikely of places. It comes from the man who has been delivered by demons. Look at verses 38 and 39. 
The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. We, we learned in the previous passage that this man has become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Notice his commitment to Jesus. You can tell a person's commitment to Jesus by their desire to be with Jesus and their willingness to sacrifice for him. You want to know how you're doing? In your walk with the Lord, do you desire to be with Jesus? And are you willing to sacrifice for him? This man was willing to forsake all and follow Christ. And we learn here that at times it is not the will of Christ for his disciples to go. Sometimes it's for them to stay. But whether it is to go or to stay, the calling is still the same. To be his witnesses, to proclaim his mighty works, to preach his gospel. This unlikely man, the man whom the demons had gone. I love the way Luke reminds us of that. Don't forget, this is the demon-possessed man here. This unlikely man... He begged to be with Jesus, but Jesus sent him home. Why? Look at verse 39 again. And behold, the amazing grace of God. Remember, they had sent him away, right? Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Go to these people who have rejected me and share with them what I have done for you. Be my witness to them. Be my ambassador. Be my representative. Be my missionary to these people. And how does this man respond? Another way we know he's become a disciple. He obeyed and he went. End of verse 39. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. What a wonderful end to this man's story. Extremely dark to gloriously bright. By God's grace, he had done a 180 degree turn spiritually. His story begins with him separated from his people and set against God in sin. And his story ends with him being a disciple of Jesus sent to his people to be a witness for Jesus to them. Amazing. Believers, God has placed this calling on all of our lives. Jesus in his great commission says that as we are going, we are to be making disciples. We are to be witnesses of his gospel. And as people respond to this message that we're called to bring in repentance and faith, we're to train them up in accordance with his word so they grow in godliness and go and do likewise. Where does it begin? Same place it began for this man, in your home, in your community, in your city. Jesus told the man to return to his home and we're told at the end of this story that he was proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This calling is the same for all of us. Are you being obedient to that call? Are you being a faithful witness for Christ? First in the home. 
to the little ones we have in the back, to those in your household, to those in your community? Are you being a faithful witness for Christ? And as those respond in repentance and faith, then the hard work begins. Discipleship, that's a hard part. Raising children, right? Till they mature spiritually. That's what we're called to do, to make disciples. Believers, how are you doing in that calling? Maybe you're here this morning and your story to this point has been similar to the townspeople in the passage. You're you're in darkness and while you have heard the calling of Jesus and have been witness to the ways He has transformed the hearts and lives of others, you have pushed Him away. You have chosen darkness rather than the light because your works are evil. You have rejected him. You've forsaken him. You have turned away from him. Listen, the very fact that you are here this morning hearing this gospel message again is proof of God's grace in your life. But I want to warn you, there is going to come a day when Jesus' ship will sail and his judgment will come. That's why I urge you today from the words of the writer of Hebrews, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but respond in repentance and faith. Folks, Christ sailed to our side of the lake. The creator of all entered into this world as one of us. He came to go to war with Satan and his demons. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to set us free from the chains of sin and restore us to a right relationship with God through his life, death, and resurrection. Have you fallen at his feet? Have you responded in repentance and faith to Christ? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you made Him Lord? Have you come naked with nothing in your hands, trusting in Him alone for your salvation? Have you been clothed in His righteousness by faith? If not, I pray that you would today. Let's pray together.